some of the miraculous things that God does. And uh, there are sometimes churches and pastors and preachers who walk around and they'll say that we're going to have a miracle service or we're going to have a service where we're, uh, you know, proclaiming the miracles or we're going to have seeing miracles happen. Well, uh, one of the things that we say, uh, you know, when we're looking at uh, people who are coming from darkness to light, when they're coming from uh, being a what without God and coming to God, is that it is truly a miracle when God transforms someone in that way. And the gospel proclaims and demonstrates the power uh, of the miraculous work of God in the lives of those two people who come to know him. And so today we're going to talk about um, two people, uh, one from the Bible and one uh, from the country of Nigeria, uh, where God did a miraculous work to take someone who was an enemy of God and to make them a friend of God. I want you to think about somebody in your life. Do you have someone in your life who you would say, if I said, think of the meanest, most difficult person that you could know, the meanest and most difficult, hard-to-deal-with person in your life? Does anyone immediately come to mind? We're not going to share. I don't want to know the name of this person. Uh, but I think it's pretty easy to think of some people who are, who are just difficult. They're, they're hard to be around. Um, we all have people, you know, uh, Michael used the illustration of a bully. And so for children, this might be who they would think of, someone who is bullying them and treating, mistreating them. Um, you know, we might think of someone, I might think of someone who doesn't allow me to live in the country to the north, you know, that <laughs> made me have to leave the country to the north uh, as, as someone who I would think of. Well, the story of Acts 9, which we read earlier, is one of the pivotal events in the history of the world. Of course, it's not, it pales in significance um, to the life of Jesus Christ. And yet we can see from the change of direction, this change of direction that occurred in the life of Saul when he became Paul uh, is a pivotal point in history. And it's also a pivotal point in the book of Acts where you see uh, from Acts 1, you remember in Acts 1, Jesus uh, gave them the command to go out, you know, beginning in Jerusalem to Samaria, all Judea and to the ends of the earth. And yet in Acts 8, we still find that the majority of the followers of Jesus are still in Jerusalem. And so in Acts 8, we, we see persecution ramp up, especially with Acts 7, with the beginning of the, the stoning of Stephen, uh, where Stephen lost his life for boldly proclaiming the truth about Jesus uh, to the religious leaders of the time. We see the persecution starting in 8. And then we have ver uh, chapter 9, uh, where you see this. But I'm going to actually go back and uh, look at Acts 8, the first few verses there, chapter 8, uh, Acts 8, starting verse 1 first, um, to see how Saul was at least partially responsible for what was happening there. And it says in Acts 8, verse 1, and this is talking about, uh, this is the, the verse immediately following after the stoning of Stephen, where Stephen was stoned to death. Uh, for proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the truth about Jesus. And it says in Acts 8.1, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So we're talking about reaching out here. Uh, and I think 
you know, as we think about uh, the concept of, you know, the idea of evangelism, as all believers, if you're, a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to make evangelism a part of your life. And we often will think of the people that we might want to share with, you know, people who we have good relationships with, maybe a family member, a neighbor, a friend, someone who, uh, who we like. We don't often think of people like Saul. We don't think of the people who are bringing great persecution on our lives. We don't think of the people who are out to destroy us as people we would want to evangelize. And that is basically what who Saul was. He was very determined. He was very aggressive in his attacks on the church. Um, there basically was one church at that time. There was basically the first church of Jesus Christ, which existed at that time. And he was doing everything he could to get rid of it. Uh, look at it, you know, what it said. It says he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. You know, to think that there was this man, you know, who was completely innocent and his only crime was in answering the questions truthfully about Jesus. And yet he was killed for it. And here is Saul. He agreed completely with that. And it said he was going everywhere to destroy the church. He was perhaps the greatest enemy of the church in that day until one fateful day, as a matter of fact. And his story continues in Acts 9, which you read earlier. We'll read through that again, just piece by piece, starting in chapter 9, verse 1. And so at the beginning, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. And so you have, in chapter 8, the persecution ramped up, and Saul was instrumental in it. He was leading it. And so what happened between 8-1 and 9-1 is you saw believers fleeing for their lives, running for their lives, going to other cities, traveling around. And yet Saul was not satisfied. He, it says, was uttering threats with every breath and eager to kill them. And so he had some right to do that in Jerusalem, but he wanted to go after them. He wanted to go out. He didn't want to just stop there. He wanted to hunt them down and find them where they were. And so he was ready to do that. And he wanted to get letters that would authorize him and give him the authority to go back and find those people who fled for their lives and drag them back so that they could be tried, thrown in prison, and many of them perhaps killed. These words, eager to kill, to bring them back into Jerusalem in chains. He wanted them dead or in prison. And so what happens next is amazing. In verse 3, chapter 9, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men with Saul stood speechless, and they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. So this is our dramatic turn in the story. You know, if you're reading the story, you, you should try and imagine the way that the early church saw Saul. Who was he to them? 
the biggest problem that they faced at the time. To anyone in the church, if you asked them who, if they had any enemies, he would probably be the first one that came to mind. He was the one that when we were thinking of the most difficult person or the, the, you know, the meanest person that you can imagine, he was the one that most of the early followers of Jesus would have thought of first. So imagine that. It's a scary time. You've just seen one of your brightest young leaders stoned to death. The guy who stood there while he was being killed, approving, giving his full approval, we could say almost like cheering on the death of your friend, is now hunting down your family and friends. Maybe you are one of the ones that had to pick up with your family and move to another city. Maybe you had to run. You were afraid that you were going to be thrown in prison or worse. If that was your family, if that was you, how would you have felt about Saul? You know, would you be hoping that he showed up at your house, hoping that he would just come and say he was sorry and make everything right? Let's continue. Acts 9, now in verse 10. Chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying for me, to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Something that is often missed in this story is that we have two miraculous appearances of God. And there's the, the one that we all think of is Saul on the road to Damascus. You know, Saul, the persecutor of the church, who Jesus appeared to directly to call him off, to tell him he was mistaken, to tell him he was misinformed, to tell him that in all of his zeal, his desire to please God, it was completely misplaced. But there's a second one here too, when the Lord told Ananias to directly to go to Saul. And both of these are miraculous. And I have to say, I believe both of them were necessary. When you think about the situation, no one was going to convince Saul that Jesus was the Messiah. Saul, we have, there's a term in Turkish called hakla, which means I am right. It's this feeling of being right. He was like that. He was full of being right. He was convinced that he was right. He was convinced that he was serving the Lord by going after these Christians and killing them and throwing them into prison. And it took the direct revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ to change his opinion, to help him to understand that he was wrong. And I think the same thing was probably true for Ananias. I mean, you don't just have God appear to you and he tells you what to do and you say, but God, maybe you don't have all the information. 
This is that guy. He's the one. He's the really bad guy. He's the one that's the meanest guy around. He's the one that's the most evil persecutor of the church around. Don't you know who this guy is? Is basically what Ananias is saying. And yet God says, I know exactly who he is, and I'm going to show you what my plans are for him. Go to him now. And Ananias, to his credit, believed the Lord. He believed the message that he received. And that miraculous revelation to Ananias was just as effective as it was to Saul. And they both had a miraculous change of perspective. They had this perspective that God has told us what is true. God has told us what is right, and now we must act upon what God has given us. And Jesus destroyed all the preconceived notions they had, and he turned things on their head. And so from that time on, Saul would no longer be the chief persecutor of the church. Instead, he would be the principal expander of the church, the principal proclaimer of Jesus Christ to that world. He would be the one that would completely change his path, his direction in life, that would change everything that he had set out to do, that his purpose was now aligned in truth with Christ. And Ananias was the same. He would no longer look upon Saul with fear and anger and frustration. Instead, he would look upon him and he would say, this is my brother. This is the one who I will travel with and we will travel throughout the world together telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. I've seen this um, posted a few times online that it's the power of the gospel that allows Stephen to welcome Saul into heaven with open arms. That it allows these people who were persecuted and killed by Saul and his representatives to be there at heaven and be grateful and, and excited and joyful when their brother Saul, who was lost, but is now found, is welcome into heaven. And that is the power of the gospel. It's the power to transform lives. And it isn't just a new idea or a new way of thinking. You know, it isn't just we have a better way of looking at things, a more enlightened way of looking at things. It is a completely different life. It's a complete change. And it's what can take a man like Paul and change his whole perspective. Instead of trying to kill the followers of Christ, he became one who was willing to suffer and die for the cause of Christ. He was willing to do anything for that cause, just so that others might hear about Jesus, just so more people might hear about Jesus. And it's the power to transform Paul from someone that the church, including Ananias, would never want to see walk through the door of their church, never want to see walk through the door of their homes, into someone that they would lay their hands on, the church, and send him out on their behalf as their fellow brother in Christ, to go into the world to share and tell the good news. A trusted fellow brother who was their representative now to carry the message of Jesus to the world. And the gospel changes lives. We know that. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. This is something that Paul experienced himself. He became that new creation. He's writing to this church in Corinth, saying that all things are made new. All of that garbage that was in his life before is made new. All of that 
mournful history of pain and suffering that he brought is made new. He would spend the rest of his life telling this good news. And we read this passage earlier. These are actually two of my favorite passages. If you're around me long enough, you'll say I say a lot of Bible passages are my favorite passages, so (laughs) you just have to get over that. But these are two of my favorite passages. Um, I love the story of Paul's change of life. I love the story of Paul's testimony as he tells about what God did before different people, before kings, and before public forums, telling the story of what Jesus did for him. And then in this verse in Colossians, we'll look back at this, Colossians 1, 19 through 23. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. This is a wonderful story. This is a wonderful statement. But did you catch what he said in there? This isn't just written to Paul. This just isn't just written to the bullies and the persecutors out there. When he says, he says, you were his enemies. And Paul didn't have in mind a few specific Christians in the Colossian church when he wrote that. He was writing to all Christians at that time, and he is writing to Christians today. Because this is the story of us. We were once far away from God. We were once his enemies. Maybe you are still his enemy. Maybe you are still separated by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet the message of the gospel is that even the people like Saul, even those who are farthest away from him, can receive this message and this gospel of reconciliation, and they can turn to him. And that's the message of the gospel, that those who were once far away from God, who were once his enemies, who were once separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions, just like Saul, can have our lives completely transformed and turn to him. And so... We're going to look at another story, a modern story, um, that comes from the country of Nigeria. And I always, I don't know, uh, you know, it seems like Pastor Phil and Pastor James, they get to tell stories about America, and I don't know if they, they don't ever check with me to see what I think of those stories. So I'm going to tell the story about Nigeria without checking with you, but I've heard it from a reliable source. So uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, if you've heard this story before. But it's another miraculous story about an enemy of the church. And this was happened in the 1970s uh, in northern Nigeria. Uh, a story of a man that, that he used the pseudonym Baba Sola in northern Nigeria, who was someone to acting to exterminate Christians. And the story goes that he was called Mr. Insecticide because he was the exterminator of Christians. Someone that was 
giving his life, much like Saul, not because he was trying to serve the God of the Bible, but because he was trying to serve another faith. Uh, uh, in order to do that, he thought his great service was to exterminate the Christians. And he was very active, like Saul. He was very proactive in going out and, and bringing death and destruction onto Christians. And that all changed on the first pass when he was burning a church and he heard people inside the church singing to God and it made him curious. And he thought, I need to know more about what it is that I'm wiping out. And so he decided that he had to infiltrate the church. And for six years, he was a part of church. He was inside the church. He was getting to know people. He was getting to know how the church worked getting to know how the believers, what made them tick, you know, what was it that made them who they were. And while still living a secret life and continuing to go to the mosque, uh, so kind of living a double life, much more like you imagine a spy or someone. But one day he was in the church and the pastor was preaching and the pastor looked at the audience and said these words. He said, are you sick? of living a double life. You need to stop deceiving people and decide who you're going to serve. And so the first thought this man had was, who, who told the pastor about me? Who was the one that informed him about me? The, you know, the jig's up. I am found out. They know about me. I need to get out of here. But as the sermon went on, and as he heard more, of the message, he became convinced that the pastor didn't know about him, that perhaps this was a message from God to him, that perhaps God, maybe not in the same way that Jesus revealed himself on the road to Damascus to Saul, but in his own way, this was the voice of God. This was a message from God. And so he began to consider the path to repentance, repentance for his sins, repentance from that day and to choose to follow God for real. That all the things, you can imagine living and being in a church for six years, how many times you have heard the truth? How many times had he heard the gospel proclaimed? And yet, for six years, he was dead to the gospel. He was not ready to receive it. He was not ready to understand the truth. And yet on that day, he was ready. His, far, his heart was finally opened. And he was finally ready to hear what God had to say to him. And so when his former allies in persecuting the church began to hear about what happened, and he began to tell more and more people about his newfound faith in Jesus Christ, they came after him. They began persecuting him. They began to hunt him down. They especially wanted to stop him as someone who had been the chief persecutor in their part of the world of Christianity from telling people that now he no longer was on that path, that now he was a believer in Jesus Christ, and now he was a follower of the Lord Jesus. Just like what we see in the story of Saul, who became Paul. And so they went after him, and they were hunting him down and trying to catch him. And ultimately, they didn't get him. But they ambushed his son, and they put his son to death. And his son, who was also a believer, was killed for his faith. And when learning about the tragedy, this man had this perspective. He said, there is no sacrifice too big for God. Even losing my son 
is not too big for God who sent his son to die to save me. And that which he once sought to exterminate, that which he once stood against with the full power and whatever weight he could bring against to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth was now something that he saw as worth dying for or even seeing his son die for. And that is the power of the gospel to change lives. It's a power that is worth everything. So in the last part of this service, I just want to have you be thinking, you know, who do you know in your life now who is like Saul? Maybe we don't know anyone that's that aggressive or that anxious to exterminate Christianity or the church. But we all know people who stand against the faith, who deny the faith, who mock and ridicule Christianity, who mock and ridicule Jesus. Some we know personally, they're in our lives today. Some we know from our past, some we might know online. We know people like this, people who are overtly enemies of the faith. How big is your faith that God could change someone like that? I have to tell you, for most of us, we probably would be like Ananias. Ananias knew the gospel was true. He knew everything about Jesus was true, but he was still not sure when he heard that this man Surely not this man, someone who was that big and that great of an enemy of us could become a follower of Jesus. And yet that's exactly what happened. And that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is salvation for all men and women who would come to him. There is no sin that can separate us from the love of God over the power of the gospel. There is nothing in our past there's nothing in your past that can separate you. When you are an enemy, when you are away from God, when you are not a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, all it takes is Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel to change that. All it takes is the blood of Christ. All it takes is to proclaim the truth of your faith, believing that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he died, was buried, and was rose on the third day, a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And by believing in that and believing that he is who he says it is, the Son of God, the Lord of all creation, the Savior of the world, you too can be transformed from an enemy of God into a child of God. And that is the message of the gospel. It's the message that our God can take those who would be the most hateful, the most destructive against his cause and turn their lives around and turn them towards him. And so if you follow Christ, you serve a God who is able to do these kind of miracles. You serve a God who is not limited in his ability to reach anyone. And as we're here maybe in a location where most people would seem either overtly or directly as enemies of God or indifferent to God, it might be difficult to believe in the power of God to change their lives. But I'm telling you today, he has the power to change any life in an instant. 
That's what happened on that road. Someone who no human being could have convinced the truth was changed in an instant through the power of Jesus. And that's the challenge that we have today. As we live in this city, I want to challenge you to have enough faith to believe that he can change the people in this city for the gospel. That he can turn people's lives around. That he can turn a Saul into a Paul. That people who would be the enemies of God, just like you and just like I was, can be changed to be him. We serve a God who is mighty to save, and just as he saved us, and just as he saved Saul. So we're going to spend a couple of minutes, and I want to ask you to just put aside your phones or anything that would distract you, and think about the people in your life, the people who need to be transformed by the gospel. And so I want to ask you to just pray and think silently for those people for just a minute, and then after a little while, I'll close this in prayer, and the choir will come to sing our last hymn. Lord Jesus, there is no one who is beyond your reach. There is no one beyond the grasp of the gospel. There is no one who is so alienated that they cannot find peace in you. And we are your servants. We who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are ministers of reconciliation. We are sent out ones. We are all called to be proclaimers and ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And I confess that sometimes it is hard to believe that some of the people that we interact with could actually find peace with God through your son. But this is the testimony that even men, evil men and women, who would stand against you can become children of God through the power of the gospel. Help us all to believe that, Lord, and help us to believe that you have the power to save those in our lives. We commit these people and we commit our sharing with them into your hands and ask that you would bless that and give us opportunities and that we would see many over the coming days come to receive the gospel of your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Inquire.